0: From Marching Music's Major League. This is a Field Pass Extra
1: with special guest host Keith Kelly. This week on Finding Drum Corps, we're visiting a part of the ensemble that I'm not the only newcomer to, as we learn about the enigmatic and the mysterious front ensemble. This week, we enter the pit. This is the first episode this year where we're focusing on uh, a particular aspect of the activity, and uh, this, this episode we're focusing on the front ensemble. Now, as someone who has marched drum corps, I'm assuming you're going to be able to guide me on this and tell me everything I need to know about the front ensemble, right?
2: I know nothing. Or as close to nothing as you can get after having marched two seasons of drum corps. Um, There is a mysterious quality about the front ensemble that I believe that they wish to keep. So (laughs) I'm worried that we're blowing their spot a little bit. But here we are. Um, It's going to be so cool, though.
1: What is that mysterious aspect? Where does that come from? Like when you're rehearsing, there's there's probably very little time that the front ensemble gets to spend with the brass. And um, is it just that you're separated most of the time when you're rehearsing?
2: I think that's it. And not that they aren't fully, fully 110% part of the core, but their day always seems to look so different from the rest of us. A, because they're rehearsing their music. They're usually off somewhere else rehearsing music during the day, and they don't march. So mm. it's not like you cross paths with these people as you're, you know, working on drill or something like that. They're always towards the front. And I was, I was always kind of jealous of the drum majors because you would see them up there, like, laughing and, you know, sharing <laughs> jokes and things like that. I'm like, it's so cool out there. Like,
1: <laughs> How much did you envy the shade that they were able to rehearse in? Uh...
2: So, like There were some days, particularly when you're like rolling through Oklahoma and it's a hundred and whatever degrees outside and you're just dying and they're over there rehearsing in the shade underneath the trees and you're just like, mm-hmm. come, come over here, come rehearse over here. It's so hot.
1: I have to say prior to 2015, I had never heard anything like this, I mean, of course, I've heard marimbas and I've heard vibraphones and I've heard but all of like those this. instruments. Not like this, definitely not in a marching perspective, and definitely not, um, at the front of the of the ensemble. First of all, of course, you know, yeah. Uh, but but used in such a unique fashion, in that they um are very much at the heart of the show. They're not just uh, adding little effects here and there. They are. Yeah. A huge part of that sound um, and I don't know that I've heard that sound elsewhere
2: no it's very unique um, I think it's unique a to drum corps but also to American style marching band in particular it's normal to have those front ensembles and they are they have a very important but very unique position on the field in the sense that they have not responsibility, but this, I'll use responsibility because I don't really have a better word for it, but like the same responsibility as a drum major in the sense that they're almost like a lightning rod for the emotion between the core and the audience. Because you also, you look at, like, you have these iconic moments from people in the front ensemble as well as those drum majors because they're so up close to the audience. It's easier to see those really intense displays of emotion. And one of the interesting, I, interesting things we learned during our interviews is how they're kind of coached with that as well because keeping that in mind and the fact that they're so easy for people to see and they're really easy for judges to see so not only in the instrumentation but also in their specific role on the field as part of the design is is really unique
1: so let's start at the very beginning what is the front ensemble
0: Well, when the core comes out and sets up on the field, you see all these instruments on the front sideline. There's all these different mallet instruments and percussion instruments of all kinds. And now there's like microphones and I mean, anything that can create a very cool sound and help to accompany the musicians who are on the field is across the front of the field. Typically, sometimes they're put other places, but typically they're right across the front of the field because that's the best way to get the sound and for being able to play together and stuff. It can be a little confounding. I mean, logically, Keith, if we're really honest, there's no reason why you know marimbas and xylophones and bells should be the main accompaniment to brass instrument like that's not necessarily the most logical thing but if you see the evolution of the activity and where it came from and why it was that way it all makes sense and i mean we love it and we're used to it and it does create a lot of music but it's all the musicians and all the instruments that are going to be accompanying the musicians on the field they're all spread off uh, off across the front of the field
3: so the front ensemble Basically, any front ensemble you're gonna see is gonna have marimbas, vibraphones, um, a xylophone, possibly like a Glockenspiel attached to the xylophone, um, some sort of auxiliary percussion, um, usually configured in a rack. So, cymbals on top of things, drums on top of it, but like a rack configuration. Um, often, there's gonna be synthesizers, at like one to two um, synthesizers that can add electronic elements to the show, and that's like your basic front ensemble. And then other than that, some cores have a drum set that they use quite frequently. Some of them have a drum set they use once in a while. Um, some cores have timpani that they use. Some of them have, like, um, chimes that they'll bring in. But the basic front ensemble that you'll see pretty much anywhere, marimba, vibes, xylophone, guacage uh, one to two synthesizers, and some auxiliary percussion.
1: So I wanted to learn a little bit about the history of this unique part of drum corps. This is Tim Hinton of the Marching Roundtable, who recently celebrated 1,000 episodes of his podcast.
0: The history of the front ensemble is so, so interesting. You know, we started as a military thing, right? And it was all about parades. And so if you wanted to play it, you had to carry it down the street. And so that's how drum corps was. If you look at those recordings from the 60s and 70s, if it's on the field and it's being played, somebody has it strapped to them and they're marching around with it. It was because everything was mobile. You started on one end, you marched across, you did your whole show, you left from the other side of the field and everything had to be carried with you. In fact, the rules were so strict, you couldn't even set anything down. There came a point in the 70s where you could actually take your drum off and start playing some Latin percussion, where that was very innovative at the time, right? So there was, there was a... Everything had to be carried, and this led to really, really interesting things, like people marching around with things strapped to them, like mallet instruments strapped to their body, timpani attached to their body, and they're marching around with them. Even chimes, Keith. Like, imagine this: if you wanted to have, I saw this in drum corps. If you wanted to have chimes play, somebody has that strapped to their body, and they're marching around with it. Now, I will tell you, for the chimes, they would like take the three, four, five bars they needed. Create something and they would just have to carry those. It's not like they had an entire chime strapped to them, believe me. But imagine the coolest thing to me is the timpani. This is what's so interesting because normally, if you see a timpani player, they have the four drums are sitting behind it, they play all four drums. Well, you can't attach four drums to one body. So they'd have one person on each drum with attached to their body. They would each play that one note. It was wildly complicated. And I think those musicians are like the unheralded heroes of the early days because. They each had to play one note. I mean, a Tiffany Park could go boom, 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 boom. Well, they're each playing one note, and you don't can't use the pedal to change the note because it's attached to your body. So they had these hand cranks. It's super cool. If you can see any of those old recordings, they would play a note, then they would reach up and do this hand crank thing, change their note. They had to know the exact right amount to crank to get to the exact right pitch in tune. Then they would play their next note, then they would crank down. So it was very fun to watch because you had these four players sort of moving as a team, playing together these very complicated parts and cranking from note to note. It was incredible, but, you know, not the easiest thing to march around with. So the time came when they decided, you know, maybe we put these on the sideline, but that was a really big deal because early on in drum corps, you could not, if you dropped a rifle, you could not pick it up. If you dropped a drumstick, it stayed like you did not, and nothing was supposed to hit the ground. It was just part of the military backing of it.
4: So here's where I, when I get asked questions like this, I I always get a little bit uh, reticent because it reveals my age.
1: This is John Phillips, Chief Judge Administrator for DCI and not as old as his stories make him out to be.
4: The fact that I know, but I did start judging drum corps when I was 10 years old. So I guess, uh, you know, that accounts for my, my recollection uh, back to the 1970s era. You know, it it was very interesting when I did start uh, judging drum corps and when I marched in drum corps, uh, no one was allowed, they called it grounding. You were not allowed to put anything on the ground or you received a penalty for it. So the poor percussionists had to march around with everything like timpani and keyboard instruments. I mean, we can see videos of people with a xylophone hooked up and strapped on and and, and tenor drums, you know, sort of marching around. Uh, they would take like a bass drum and saw it in half and put two pieces, it was like this giant timbali, and these things were really heavy. I'm surprised there aren't more lawsuits against marching organizations for all the chiropractic wear that, and tear that it took on the spine. But you know, those were the days when people were tough, Keith, and they, 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 there was no putting the instrument down on the ground. So it was really, really fascinating. The first core, and this is a little bit of drum core trivia. You may not know this, and and I know that you're going to probably talk to Steve Vickers, and he's the man to tell you about all this because he's written a couple of uh, historical books on it. But I believe it was in the late 1970s, like 1978, and a group from Racine, Wisconsin, the the, the Kilties, were uh, these uh, um, strappy. Uh, scots people from uh, wisconsin they're probably most of them were probably german or you know norwegian or something but anyway they they said we're not marching around with these timpani anymore you know maybe they were scratching their legs or something because they had kilts on but they sat the timpani down and i i don't know if they got penalized for that but that was the beginning of the end for it all and about four years later I think in 1982, we saw the, uh, the end of marching with keyboard instruments, and they, they, they started to have these keyboard instruments. Now, they used to carry them out, and then over time, it's d- developed where they have these special, they call them trucks, that they just like you would for a grand piano, for instance, and make it easier to roll across and onto the field and, and all of that kind of thing. So the, the origins of, of it goes back to late 70s, early 80s, where we started to have this grounded percussion at the front. Now, Keith, I believe you're a, uh, a musical theater pit musician. You've played in pit before as a reed player. Well, you know, the, the, the uh, name of the what we used to call for many decades is the pit because it was along the lines of the orchestra pit where the musicians would would station that. And that's what we see nowadays. It, it's it's beyond that, however. It's, it's a full array of concert percussion. And, and we we'll, we can talk maybe in a minute about when we've switched over to amplifying all of that. But for the first decade or, or two, it was merely uh, the instruments being stationed up front, and we'd have concert bass drums and gongs and cymbals and some wind chimes and, and various uh, types of drums that would be positioned in that front ensemble.
1: Okay, so marching timpanies. this sounds like it's a recipe for an accident.
0: My friend Mark, when he was in eighth grade, and this was when I first met him, we were at band camp and we're on, the whole band is standing down on the field and there's this big hill that goes up to where you got your instrument. Mark had been assigned to play timpani. First day, he straps it on his body. He's laid. He comes running down toward the field. The whole field, the whole band is standing there watching him come down the hill. You know what happened. He trips on a, on a root and he rolls down the hill with the timpani attached to his body. <laughs> this is my first memory of him. He's fine, everybody. He loves to tell the story himself, but it was, it was a bit of a perilous thing.
1: This talk of marching timpani and vibes reminded me of my visit to Music Musiktage, a big marching band festival near Bremen in Germany. There you can still find bands that still march with all sorts of mallet percussion. Here's Paul Dupe of the World Music Contest talking about his experience marching with percussion.
5: Yeah, I marched a uh, vibraphone. Um, uh, we, we marched this uh, ball. Uh, Musser thing uh, there, were, there were not that many brands that had it so Musser was one of them with this hand bar so you played actually with your four mallets and then with your wrist you pushed the bar down so that was the vibraphone and it was very heavy <laughs> very heavy uh, that 10 minute show, 12 minute show that was about it <laughs> and, but you know uh, our competitor Beatrix they marched the marching timpani we never had that so we were jealous that they had the marching timpani we had the marching vibe. Well the core was proud that had the marching vibe and I was the victim that marched it. <laughs> I did it for one season, next season I played uh, xylophone and I thought that was l- lighter, but those Ceylon Musser xylophones are were not were not lightweight. <laughs> I'm very, you know, jealous when I see them now with all these lightweight things like hey, yeah right. I just had a whole <laughs> wooden wooden thing on my on my back. But um, that was the front ensemble was so literally empty those years that I was there. Uh, We at one point had uh, uh, marching chimes. Um, We copied that of the um, um, 27 Lancers, of course. We we were looking and saying, "Wow, this is interesting." But of course, we didn't know how to build it, so we built it like we thought it should have been with metal, and that was very heavy. Um, um, But so we 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 left that idea. But yeah, the vibes we. uh, you actually, I think it was three years or so. This was like the early '80s. Yeah. So yeah, I was it was I was one of them. Four mallet techniques, wrist—it's all in the wrist. We teach that in mallet, but we're talking about the motion. But it was all in the wrist to damp that the whole thing. Um, and we still have um, marching mallets in in the Netherlands, as I said. We've got this whole community of mallet bands, as we call them. Uh, you don't see the marching vibraphone anymore. I think they. they 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 put that somewhere in the museum. But um, yeah, so that was my my front ensemble was non-existent. And the first, um, the first things that came in the pit in the US were the timpani, the concert timpani, like the Madison Scouts, uh, like that was, I think in 1980, that they started doing that, the Blue Devils. And of course, when they came out, it was the concert timpani. Well, in Europe, no money, right? So we put the the wind chimes in the the pit or the marching xylophone on a stand. It was still a little xylophone and our marching vibe was on a stand. And we had all this auxiliary percussion in the pit. So that was really different from the U.S. Where the U.S. had the the concert professional timpani, we had all the little things put on on the sideline. And that was our front ensemble.
1: I asked Paul to tell me more about the marching mallet bands that still exist in the Netherlands and Germany.
5: So the marching mallet bands they come, come out of the traditional drum bands. The drum band in the Netherlands was a group of just snare drums, uh, the the single tenor drum and the bass drum of course and some cymbals. And um then we added the the bellier. Right? Uh, but that was the that's that's where it started. These bands um so the, the brass bands or the the, the 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 drum and bugle chorus we have them in the Netherlands, like the non valve, they went into the two three valve. They they never went to the two valve except for a few extinct drum cores. But the rest went to three valve. But these drum bands, they 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 came into the marching mallet. So they started the bellier actually just put them on the side, and that was their first marching bell. It was real same the bellier and then that you know that, that went into the evaluation to marching to a concert bells on the marching harness the xylophone the marimba came out the vibraphone came out um, and and that that was in the it started in the mid 80s and it's still there are a lot of bands still doing this and they play anything so all the variety that you have in the normal bands from classic to rock you have them there I, I I worked with some of them and uh, they were, ve- they're very uh, successful at the WMC because they, the, the better ones, they can actually bring great, great harmony have the good size group. Um, but you see them everywhere. You see them in parades, of course, but you see them also in tattoos because a, a lot of them have uh, full size shows. They're not as big as, as, as a, a wind band for a show band, of course, or the the regular show band, but um a lot of them have color guard with them. So it's, uh, and a lot of those you see in our indoor percussions uh, circuit because that for them is a logical uh, move. Um, so it, it is like a show band without brass and a brass and winds instrument. That's really what it is in the Netherlands. It's really interesting. And I know for other countries, it's, it's like, wow, we've never seen this or do they even exist those marching bands? Well, they exist live and kicking. But it's 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 their evolution, and their next evolution is that they go to the concert halls, and then they have, of course, the, um, uh, the, the, the all the, the pit instruments. And I remember um, I was always well, we in drum corps in the Blue Devils, and later on, of course, in Jubal and Beatrix, we have a truck and a real size truck, like in the US. So I went to this concert ensemble competition in the Netherlands, down south at the WC, and I was like, oh, holy! cow here we have a concert they come with three trucks i was like i've never seen that and they they have on the street a marching mallet ensemble and on the podium they've got like three sets of timpani 12 marimbas like if you're talking about front ensembles watch them
4: they are exquisite they play so very very well so speaking of the front ensemble one of the most unique things that i've noticed. I would say at the world championships for the past five, 10 years has been the evolution of the Marine Drum and Bugle Corps. They are annually a featured group at the, uh, especially at championship night on Saturday night. And they, they'll come out. And um, they often we'll play patriotic music, they'll do some, some kind of really neat arrangements. Sometimes they'll stop in, a semi, in an arc, in a semicircle, and maybe play a jazz tune or some popular melody, and then they'll march off, you know, stars and stripes forever, and the audience is clapping along, and, and it's really great. It, it really lifts our spirits. But what's happened in the last five years in particular two things that really stand out if you if you get to see the marine drum and bugle corps and they'll be there at the celebration this year so i hope people will, will tune into the broadcast and get a chance to see it or be there live and and i know that there's ways for them to travel there live and that that'll be forthcoming as things free up here but one of the things that's really cool is in the last few years they've started to do drill like we see the drum corps doing not just parade formations and countermarches and as an ex-military man, Keith, you can appreciate that, that, that they've kind of released the chains, so to speak. Uh, I don't know if the, they've broken regulations, but somehow in Lucas Oil Stadium on a Saturday night in August, they were able to do it. They wouldn't maybe do it on the White House lawn, but they're, they're doing this, first of all, the drill. But what really blew my mind was in 2019. As uh, so I was heading out of the, uh, the, the meeting room I had with the judges before we went up into the press box where we were going to have the, it's downstairs in the uh, where they have the meal served. And we walked past where the Marines were getting set up to go out for their uh, exhibition performance. And I saw some keyboard instruments on those rolling wheels and I saw a sound system and I saw microphones and amplifiers and they had a pit. Now, they don't have as many as the drum corps would have, but uh, this blew my mind. It was like the Marines are doing this. You know. So drum corps has rubbed off on, on the marching band <laughs> world, it's rubbed off on, on the, the world in general, and it's rubbed off on the Marine drum and bugle corps. It was fantastic.
2: drum corps is brought to you by the dci fan experience tour after a historic canceled season this year drum corps is back this tour is the best way to experience your time in indianapolis with meet and greets photos on the field and exclusive behind the scenes access throughout the tour The DCI Fan Experience is brought to you by Kaleidoscope Adventures and includes accommodation and show tickets for all three nights in Indianapolis for the finale of the 2021 Celebration Tour from August 12th through the 14th. You can find out more about the tour over on globalbandroom.com or in the show notes of this episode of Finding Drum Corps.
1: Okay, so it's time to meet one of these mysterious front ensemble performers. Leah Dunbar is a percussionist and a recently aged out member of the Spartans, the 2019 Open Class Champions. I came across Leah's articles about Drumcore on Medium and I wanted to find out more about her and her experiences.
3: Yeah, it was a fifth grade band like petting zoo day where we got to try out all the instruments and I really wanted to play trombone. Like I wanted to play trombone. I thought it was really funny and it had a really, I love the little whoop whoop. I thought it was fun. Um, But I was already playing piano and violin at that point and my parents said that I didn't have time to take on another instrument or another set of lessons and they, you know, it was going to be a lot. So um I talked to the band teacher and she said, "Well, you already know how to play piano and you know how to read music, so why don't I put you in percussion and bells?" So I played the little glockenspiel and I played percussion um and throughout middle school I started learning more about all kinds of percussion. and really loved that. And then in high school they had a small marimba and that was my first uh like introduction to it. And it's set up just like a piano. It's set up it's something I can hit like percussion. It was perfect. Um I absolutely love the instrument. I think I fell in love with it the first time I played. The first time I played one, and especially the first time I played like a five-octave marimba, it was just amazing. It's the, yeah, just the perfect instrument for me.
4: Well, you know, they are the first people you see on the field. They're right up front. They're they're the personality and the face of the drum corps, if you will. Aside perhaps from the drum major, but the front ensemble is really the first visual thing you notice, and uh, you will see. If you watch footage uh, any of the films over, especially over the past five ten years, that the personality of those members up front is extraordinary. They are responding to the emotion of the music. So if it's a really high energy piece, you're going to see it. You you know that one person you reference, you saw that in their presentation. If it's something that's more uh, pensive and more reflective, you'll see them. They're almost like actors. And in fact, they are being coached about their facial uh, presentation. So how does the judge respond to that? Well, it's part of that overall effect. It might be subliminal, but it does have an impact and can be a part of the emotional, you know, when the the, the effect judge is looking for the emotional response and the emotional impact uh, on the audience. And that's one of the things that comes across very much so. You know, one of the things I also like to talk about uh, with that front ensemble, is the um, the characterization of how they approach their instrument and how the technique that they demonstrate. Previously, a lot of times, um, it's it's been students who may not have actually been majoring or specializing on uh, those instruments. I mean, it's I'm going back decades now when it first. Started. You know, oh, you're not really, you can't march very well. You can't play baritone. You're going to play the cymbals in the pit every so often. Well, now there are, you know, the percussionists, are, they're, they're playing multiple instruments. And, and what the front ensemble has done is open up availability to students who might not normally have had a chance to be in drum corps. They're not marching around on the field, but they play a very integral role to the musical success of every top tier drum corps that we have. And I think that's one of the cool things right now is that um, high high school students, college majors who are um, really set on a career path as a percussionist, they have this opportunity to be in one of these drum corps and play an array of instruments at the highest level with amazing technique and musicianship.
1: What struck me most the first time I ever saw a live drum corps front ensemble, aside from this incredible talent and unique beautiful sound, was the mesmerising movement of the musicians. Not being a percussionist and not having seen anything like this in Ireland, I wanted to know how much of this was technique and how much was a physical communication of the music and emotion to the audience.
3: The one that people notice the most is like the body pulse that the players are like moving back and forth kind of in this wave-like motion. That's a lot of pedagogy um, because the style of the pulsing can be very different from core to core. But the main purpose of that is um, ensemble timing so that you can look side to side and like really internalize the music in the way that people marching will internalize the music and also just be looking side to side and be able to understand where you are. It also just builds energy because I know in a lot of high school ensembles, like very young high schools, you'll go in, the kids are playing their music perfectly, but they'll just be standing completely still. And when you're watching that, that's not very interesting to look at. So just the physical movement of people moving together is really interesting. Um, And it helps add to that energy of the show, because if you have a front ensemble that doesn't do that, you're going to notice it. Um, They're going to be looking very stale and very um, closed off from the energy that's being put out by the rest of the field. Um, There are little like choreographic moments. Um, There's big flares off the symbols. Those are definitely choreographed and training. Um, But as you get into the season, a lot of it is just um, like the passion from the show. Like I, there's moments of shows that I know I was trained to perform like that, but like, I can't imagine not wanting to perform like that because it's just so much fun to be able to like hit a symbol and have your hands just like fly off of it and make all these like exaggerated faces. Um, the front ensemble is the face of the core because um, you're standing closest to the audience. Sometimes in spaces like um, uh, Michigan city, the old um, open class final site, you are literally like 15 feet from the first row of audience. So um, you can see them and they can see you. And if you're not fully putting your face and your body into the performance, it's really going to come across where the rest of the corps sometimes is their actual faces are sometimes hidden by hats and um, uniforms and everything like that. But you're very much like the colour guard in that way of um, projecting the emotion and energy of the show.
1: As I've looked through drum corps archives over the past months, one thing I've noticed is the increased size and variety of the front ensemble. I asked Michael Cesario about this growth.
4: It's it's because there's so much talent
5: that, you know, when I talk to the instructors, they always say, what am I going to do? This kid is so marvelous. They do so much. They augment what's going on so beautifully. And when they take the lead, there's really always some surprise, I think. Um, And the fact that Right after dinner, they start, during dinner, they start packing stuff up. Then they get to the site and they unpack. Then they pack it back to get to the stadium. Then they unpack it at the stadium. Then they put it away at the, you know. So I'm, you know, not surprised that they aren't weightlifters.
1: Michael brings up a very important point here. You see, my co-producer Mallory marched Tuba. Chuba. And to hear her tell it, the front ensemble have it very easy when it comes to workload. As always, however, I do my research and I asked Leah about this myth.
3: (laughs) Yes, I just think it's very different working. Um, And I think that's kind of like a misconception sometimes about the front ensemble is that people are like, oh, yeah, you just stand under trees all day and you don't sweat at all. And you're like your instruments on wheels. You don't have to carry the drums around. And um, it's very different challenges. So whereas the rest of the core is doing like basics block for an hour and then they go into like warm up block for another hour and a half and then they do visual part of the day and then they go and work on choreography and they come back and do lunch and then they'll do in something else. The front ensemble is we, our day is split up into pit pit music time and ensemble music time. So we'll be with the pit, whether that's subsectionals or as a full ensemble repping music, or we'll be with the core repping music. Um, There's not a visual part of our day, unless it's like small choreography. There's not um, a basics block part of our day other than technique block. Um, for 12 hours a day, we are standing on our instru- in front of our instruments with mallets in our hand, making our hands into blisters. So um, it's a lot of very focused, detailed work about the music. Um, the rest of the core of of course has that but when the front ensemble only has music to work on we'll just stand there for two hours working on literally two bars for two hours four hours um it could be very intense detail work of just like the tiniest little phrases trying to build them back out into bigger phrases um so it's it's not as much moving around but it's a lot more like very scrupulous intense detail
1: So what does the front ensemble look like in 2021? And how do changes take place anyway? What might we see in the
4: future? Here's John Phillips. If it's a percussion instrument, it can be included. Any percussion instrument and electronic instrument. Nothing's really changed in 21 uh, from 2019. So we're we're really following and, and going forward into the next season where we get back to full competition. So uh, whatever was there in 2019 can be there. Uh, I I started to mention about the front ensemble. uh, Once they, they started to put the the instruments there, what they found was that um, they they didn't have, because they wanted to use uh, marimbas and really legitimate concert instruments and they found that in order for them to balance with the brass players they were ruining the instruments because they had to hit them you know they had to draw the sound out and and it just wrecked the keys and you know they'd be trashing instruments every year and these are very expensive instruments so i think it was in 2008 and we were in and mallory will appreciate this we were in denver colorado at the annual meeting at the uh, dci annual meeting where the rule proposal to uh, allow amplification of the front ensemble came forward. What was really interesting at that time, and I've shared this anecdote several times, I'm going to not mention the core in order to protect the innocent here, but there were several cores. They were were from the Midwest. I'll say that who said, not over my dead body, are we going to do this? And then, Lo and behold, two or three years later, they had more stuff than anybody else, you know? It was crazy. But what what was interesting was uh, we had uh, some demonstrations there of people. um, Mallory, I don't know if you knew Ward Durrett. Uh, He's a a percussionist in in Colorado. and, And he and a bunch of people from the Blue Knights organization uh, did some demonstrations for the cores to show what was going to be involved. How much was it going to cost for these amplifiers? How much was it going to cost for the microphones and the, you know, the preamp and all of the other intricacies that go into that sound system. The marching bands had been doing it for a few years before this, but drum core had not, which was really interesting. So uh, again, out of necessity and not ruining instruments, they finally said, okay, let's let's amplify this. Now, it really did take them quite a while to figure it all out. But I think right now, the sound designers, I mean, every core is coming out now with a, a person who just handles all of that sound design and, and all the mix on the road and, and so on and so forth. It's really become a very theatrical experience for the fans. And particularly when we get into those indoor venues like Lucas Oil Stadium, where they, have, they can count on you know the relative humidity of the hall they can count on all of the mix in that acoustical environment is not going to change with wind for instance so it's really spectacular the way the amplification and the use of electronic sounds and other special effects has come forward as part of that front ensemble you were asking about.
3: I just think drum corps has a really unique um, part of the arranging process, where the arrangers are working directly with the corps, especially at an open class level. Um, I had the same arranger all four years, and he was able to like write the parts to our abilities as we grew. Um, so it felt very much like our effort was equally matched by the arranger's effort, and then we gave that back to the ensemble. and I loved my time in high school band and other ensembles, but I've never really felt that type of Um, equal value to the rest of the ensemble like I've always appreciated the ensembles and I think that all my directors have really made a point to include the percussionists in the ensemble but I don't think that there's ever been an ensemble that I've been a part of that quite um, feels musically and culturally like I've been part of the same ensemble as drum corps Um, just being in front of the core the entire time you get all of that sound coming over you which feels great and you get to see the audience so directly which is something I love.
1: Thank you to all of this episode's guests, Leah Dunbar, John Phillips, Tim Hinton, Paul Doop, Michael Cesario, and of course my co-producer Mallory Anderson, who does in fact know just how hard the front ensemble works. Until next time, march on.
2: to you by the Global Bandroom. You can find out more about all of our podcasts over at globalbandroom.com or find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.